So when I was 19 years old, I did something dumb. Shocker, I know. 19-year-olds are known for their excellent decision-making skills and their reasoning. Uh, but this was a very, very dumb thing that I did, a dangerously dumb thing I did as a 19-year-old, a life-threateningly dumb thing that I did back in college. It was the start of my sophomore year, and I was getting ready to lead my very first small group, first Bible study ever. And I was really excited about this because I had just come to faith a few months before this uh, through a small group Bible study, uh, part of my campus ministry, InterVarsity at the University of North Carolina. I was very excited about that, had a great experience. So I was excited to get to kind of carry on that legacy that I had been a part of and lead my own group. And the powers that be said, hey, you've been a Christian for like 90 days. You can probably do this, right? Sure, why not? What do I need to do to lead a small group, to lead a Bible study? They said, well, you need to study the Bible. Check. I don't mean to brag. don't mean to sound arrogant. But uh, I've read at least 10 to 15 pages of the Bible by this point. So it basically qualifies me as an expert on the subject matter. Um, okay, what else do I need to do as a Bible study, as a small group leader? And they said, well, you need to build community. You see, there's going to be this incoming group of 15 freshman guys who are going to be part of your group. And they're going to be looking to you because they're kind of like lost puppies. They don't know anyone yet. They don't know what they're doing. And your job as their small group leader, as their Bible study leader, is to help them build a really healthy God-centered community. To really mentor them and be there for them. Okay, yeah, building community. There's a lot of different ways we can do that, right? different ways we can build community with people. Uh, I even looked around and saw what other groups were doing. Some groups uh, to plan to build community were doing movie nights together, doing hikes or playing Frisbee, doing a video game tournament. And I thought, that's good. That's a little, that's a little blase. I want to wow these guys. I want to grab them right out of the gate. So I thought to myself, what better way to build community than to commit a crime together? Yeah, that is not, not a great idea. And that wasn't how I thought about it, and that's definitely not how I presented it to them, but that's, in effect, what I did. Uh, I told the guys uh, in our first gathering, our first community gathering, to meet outside of our dorms at midnight. We circled up. We prayed together, because prayer is important. And then we proceeded to head off campus. I led them to an abandoned rock quarry uh, a few miles off campus in the middle of nowhere, we were, where we snuck into, we trespassed into this abandoned rock quarry that the developers, when they were done mining and digging out, they had actually flooded this abandoned rock quarry. So we're sneaking through forests and past barbed wire fences and all this stuff, sneaking into this abandoned rock quarry. And I lead them up on top of this stone platform. It's the middle of night, about 30 feet above the water of this rock quarry. And I tell them, guys, we're going to build community by doing some cliff jumping together. Yeah, let's do it. What could go wrong? The guys were not super excited. They weren't as excited as I thought they were going to be. And to be fair, it was very intimidating. You're looking down on top of this cliff, uh, and, and you really can't see anything. It's pitch dark out there. You know there's water down there. You can throw stones. You can hear it. But you don't actually see anything. So you're jumping 30 feet out into utter darkness. So it's very intimidating, and the guys need some modeling. So I, I do this. I show them, and you splash into the icy water below. And there's a little beach you can swim over and circle back. So the guys warm up to it. And they actually start really enjoying themselves. To my credit, in my defense, these guys loved it at first. <laughs> they were having a great time. They're having a blast. They're jumping and they're laughing and they're building these memories. And I'm sitting back watching these guys laugh and cavort and do their thing. And I'm patting myself on the back. You're just a grade A small group leader, Joseph. You're the best. These guys love you already. They think you're so cool. This is so much better than a movie night. These guys are going to remember this night for the rest of their lives. This is part of your legacy you're building. They love you. So I knew it was time to seal the deal. As the night was winding down, I said, all right, guys, here's the plan. Here's the plan, the grand finale. As I explained to them what I was going to do, the plan was I was going to run from the very back of the stone platform, about 20 feet, get a full sprint, and launch myself out into the darkness, out into the air over this rock quarry. 
and do a series of flips, a series of somersaults to dive into the water. That was the plan. That would seal the deal. Things did not go according to plan. Uh, I got back. I started running as fast as I could. And what I had failed to realize that we'd been doing this for a couple hours. And that once very dry, stable, uh, firm purchase of a stone rock platform we were jumping off of was now very slippery, slick as ice. And as I hit this stone, this wet stone, going full speed, whew, my feet shot out from underneath me. I went sailing into the air. I, they said I screamed like a nine-year-old girl, like, ah, ah! And I, not a very masculine sound came out of my mouth. And as I'm flying through the air, I have no body control whatsoever. I'm surprised, I'm confused, and I'm dropping through the air. And I proceed to drop 30 feet through the air without any control, like a clumsy, overweight manatee, and just boom, slam, backflopping from 30 feet up into the water blue. Yeah, that sound you just made, that's the sound they said they made up top. Ooh, oh, oh. Now, down in the water, I was not in a good condition. I was in very bad shape. You see, the force of the impact did, uh, pushed all of the air just straight out of my lungs. <gasps> and not only that, the force of the impact started my lungs spasming. So I started hyperventilating in the water uncontrollably. I started to breathe in water even though I didn't want to. I was out of control. I was hurting. I was confused. It was totally dark. And I knew I was in really bad shape. Now, by God's grace... <laughs> One of the small group members, someone who had jumped in the water before me, had heard me describe this epic plan of mine, this final somersault that I was going to do. And he's down in the water, and he was an experienced lifeguard and swimmer. And he thought to himself, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to end well at all for him. I'm going to hang out down here. I'm going to tread water just in case. And quite honestly, thank you, God, that he did, because I wouldn't be here today if not for him. His name was Garrett. And within seconds, he swam over and was able to get my head up above water. I was hacking and coughing up water, spasming, freaking out. And so he was able to swim me over to the beach, calm me down. And this once really celebratory, really joyful atmosphere of community building, this legacy that I was so excited to build up and share with these guys had turned very somber, very serious. Now, why in the world am I sharing this story? There's two reasons. First reason uh, the statute of limitations for trespassing in North Carolina is three years, so whew, I'm off the hook. I can tell that story and, worry, and not worry about getting arrested. That's really nice. Secondly, and, and, and much more importantly, though, there's something about coming face to face with our own mortality that just messes with us, that just reshapes and reframes all of the decisions we had made, how we were living our lives, and it makes us ask these big questions about our purpose and our legacy. The theme for the VBS this week was created by God and made for a purpose. And I love that. What would you say your purpose is? What would you say your legacy would be? I know for myself in that moment, I wasn't very thrilled. I wasn't very happy about what my legacy would have been. I was embarrassed for a lot of reasons. I was embarrassed to make a fool of myself and to almost die and have to be rescued. Most of all, I was embarrassed I would risk my life and put my life in danger for something so petty. So self-centered. Because at the end of the day, the only thing motivating me in that was what other people thought of me. And so I started to really wrestle and reflect, okay, what is my purpose? And what would I leave behind if I were to die? So happy VBS week. We're going to talk about committing crimes and death. Hooray, yeah, yeah. Nice, fun, light topics. I don't, I don't want us to focus on those things, but I do want us to focus on this question of legacy. Because for every single person here, whether you are a person of faith 
or not, whether you're, you're a committed follower of Jesus or not, whether you're wrestling with your faith right now, or you're asking questions or simply someone dragged you here and you're kind of just waiting for this to be over. No matter where you stand today in your faith, there will be a day when you will have to wrestle with those questions. Okay, what is my purpose? What would my legacy be? Sometimes we have time to think about that and reflect on that. Sometimes it catches us very, very unaware because things don't go according to plan. Now, the good news is we don't have to wrestle with huge questions like that, questions of purpose, questions of legacy on our own. We're gonna look at a psalm together this morning, Psalm 90. If you have your Bibles, you can go and turn there. Psalm 90 is a wonderful psalm. It's unique for a few different reasons. Psalm 90 is unique because of who wrote it and when it was written. Psalm 90 is the only psalm that was written by Moses, the only psalm that's attributed to Moses. Uh, most of us probably know uh, who Moses is. That's a, if, even if you're not familiar with the church, not familiar with the Bible, that's a fairly familiar name. Uh, he's, he lived this iconic life of faith, <laughs> so iconic we, we are familiar with movies, uh, Prince of Egypt, Ten Commandments, so there's some Veggie Tale episodes mixed in there, right? Okay, we're all very familiar, at least most of us are familiar with the life of Moses, iconic life of faith. His mom sent him down the river in a basket to be raised in Pharaoh's household. He fled Egypt after murdering someone, hid in the wilderness for years. He had this incredible encounter, speaking with God through the burning bush. He comes back as a prophet to set God's people free from slavery and to lead them into the promised land. To cross the Red Sea, he brings the commandments, the tablets of God's law down from Mount Sinai. He had this incredible, iconic faith, incredible, iconic relationship with God. That's who wrote this Psalm, Psalm 90. But when it was written, that's what makes this psalm really unique. You see, Deuteronomy 34 tells us what's happening at the end of Moses' life. We know that Moses is at the end of his life, and the Bible tells us that God leads Moses up on top of a mountain, Mount Nebo, just outside of the promised land, right? The Israelites, they've been wandering for 40 years, and they're so close to the promised land. They're right there. And God leads Moses up on top of the promised land. He's looking down. And God says, here it is. Here's what I promised you people. This is what uh, you've been working for and striving for. Oh, and by the way, you're about to die and you won't get to set foot in there. And Psalm 90 is written in response to that news. Psalm 90 is written from a place of Moses coming face to face with his mortality and asking huge questions of what was his life's purpose and what will his legacy be? Huge questions important questions. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to Psalm 90. Uh, I'm going to have it on the screen behind us here in a second, and uh, you can follow along there, or you can uh, read along if you have a Bible with you. This is God's word to us and for us. We'll just look at the first couple of verses here. Psalm 90, verses 1 and 2. Prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Here at the very beginning of this psalm, as Moses has just gotten this, no, uh, this news, and he's writing this uh, days, maybe even moments, before his life on earth is about to come to an end, Moses demonstrates remarkable perspective as he takes in all things. I mean, as I read this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations, that phrase makes me cock my head a little bit because I think, well, Moses, what's been the purpose of your life? What have you labored for at least the last 40 years? And maybe you could say your entire life to accomplish. And the answer to that would be bringing God's people out of Egypt, out of slavery, 
into Canaan, into the promised land. And he's so close. He's, he's at the, the precipice, right? He's right there. He's looking down from Mount Nebo, looking down into the promised land. And yet his focus here at the end of all things, at the end of his life, his focus isn't on the promised land. His focus is on the promise maker. His focus is on his relationship with the God who made this promise, this promise to his ancestors, the promise to him and his people. And he knows his promise is for his descendants as well, the next generation, throughout all generations. Moses demonstrates remarkable perspective here in light of eternity. It's very easy for us to lose perspective. It's very easy for us to become distracted by different things that are taking place in our lives, uh, the different ways that uh, we uh, compare ourselves to others, the different ways we take, uh, take stock of what other people might be thinking of us or the ways that we measure up in comparison to others. Moses is able to have an honest, eternal perspective here, looking at God and saying, you have been our dwelling place for all generations. And we see this healthy perspective lead to the next few verses. He says, you turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day in your sight, God, that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Moses is able to step back and with honesty and humility say, even though I have accomplished so much in my life, I've lived this iconic life of faith, this powerful, iconic life of faith. God, in comparison with eternity, it's shadows and dust. It's shadows and dust. It's not anything that truly is significant on its own. It's only significant in light of you, God. He has a beautiful, eternal perspective. Now, it's very easy for us to, to have our perspective skewed, to be confused of things. I am a I am not six feet tall. I have a confession to make. I often tell people I'm six feet tall. Uh, I am five feet, 11 inches, and three quarter inches tall. And it drives me nuts that I'm not six feet tall. I, in fact, in photos, I'll often do one of these. Yeah, you guys can see, stand on tiptoes a little bit. Or better yet, I like to take, have my photo taken next to people who are a little bit shorter than me because it makes me seem taller, right? In fact, one of, uh, because of the perspective changes, right? One of my favorite people to ever get my photo taken with was this gal in high school. Her name was Jenny. And we were part of this scholar-athlete program. We would travel and do events together and things like that. And I love getting my photo taken next to Jenny because she was petite. She was very small. She was four foot seven. And I love getting my photo taken with Jenny. I have one of those right here. Brace yourself. High school Joseph. There we go. Yeah, I know. Yes, I had hair. Don't make it weird, all right? Yes. That is me, awkward high school Joseph, standing next to Jenny. I'm a giant. Look at me in comparison to her. I'm huge. I can play in the NBA. I love getting my picture taken next to Jenny because perspective is a little skewed, isn't it? It makes me seem bigger and taller than I actually am. Now, that's the funny thing about perspective, though. It all depends on who you're standing next to. At this particular event, there was a special guest star that visited uh, with us as we were there speaking and interacting. Uh, his name was Tommy Burleson. Does anyone, does anyone know who Tommy Burleson is? Okay, I see just a few hands. Okay, big name basketball player from the 70s. He led NC State to a national championship. He was a first round draft pick uh, in 1974 to the Seattle Supersonics. Uh, Tommy Burleson was a big boy, big guy, seven foot four inches. He was a center, yeah. And so Jenny and I, after taking this photo together with me feeling like a giant, decided it would be really fun for us to take a photo with Mr. Tommy Burleson. There we go. <laughs> I thought I was. Look at him. I mean, he is twice her height. 
is double her height. And with me, I mean, he's got me by several feet, it looks like, in from that picture. It's incredible. I also love this picture. He's very clearly smiling standing next to Jenny. Uh, he's not smiling next, standing next to me. I think it's because I was doing the tiptoe thing, and I, didn't think, I don't think he liked that. Uh, yeah. Boy, I looked huge in comparison with Jenny. Next to Tommy, not so much, right? Ah, perspective is a funny thing like that. Perspective can be so easily skewed depending on who we're standing next to, depending on who we are comparing ourselves with. Moses, at the end of his life, could find it very easy, could find it very natural to compare himself with those who are around him. Whew, God, here I am. Things are winding down. Man, I had a good run. I mean, better than Aaron, right? I mean, I, you know, Aaron, you know, got the, he led the people of God astray several points. He got himself into trouble better than my brother Aaron, better than my sister Miriam. Remember that time she got leprosy, God? Yeah, she was, a, she was a troublemaker in comparison to what I did. You know what? How about just average Joe Israelite? These people grumble and they complain. Not me, though. Not me, God. In comparison with them, Moses feels like a giant, he feels like his legacy is this massive, huge, incredible thing. But at the end of his life, what I love about Psalm 90, what we see Moses do, he has a very honest, transparent understanding of eternity. His focus is on the eternal nature of God, not on himself, not on his own life. His only significance for his life is rooted in how eternal his God is. In fact, you could summarize these first four verses here by him saying, God, you are really big and I am really small. God, you are really grand and I am minute. God, your legacy is significant beyond measure and mine is only significant because of what you have done. Moses, at the end of his life, as he ponders his legacy and his purpose, has eternal perspective. And he is able to embrace this thing that's bigger than his years on earth, bigger than his list of accomplishments, bigger than his resume. He is able to embrace the enduring legacy that God offers to him because when the legacy that God offers us is so much more grand than we ever imagined. Sure, we can puff ourselves up and banking, uh, stand next to people who are shorter than us or compare ourselves with people who don't have uh, the titles we have or the money we have. We can puff ourselves up in that way, but in light of eternity, we're small potatoes. We're small potatoes, but the legacy that God offers us is more grand than we ever imagined. Let me ask you a question. What would it look like for us to have more of an eternal perspective in how we live our lives? What about more of an eternal perspective in how we pray? Uh, has anyone here prayed for, uh, prayed for a loved one this week? Raise your hand. Okay, good. I'm not going to knock that. That's good. You should pray for loved ones. Um, uh, if you have prayed for a loved one and prayed a prayer of safety and comfort for them, raise your hand. Okay, that's, that's almost all of the exact same hands. I would say 95 plus percent of my prayers are for safety and comfort of loved ones. Uh, it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to pray for. Uh, we have a little girl, a one-year-old daughter. I pray for her safety and her comfort all the time. And I got to confess, sometimes it's, I'm, you know, Lord, help our daughter sleep so she gets good rest. That's maybe more of a selfish prayer than I like to admit uh, all the time. But those are the hallmark of my prayers. That's the, the bedrock of my prayers. That's how I pray for my family and my children. Safety and comfort. It's not a bad thing. 
Safety, prayers for safety and comfort are very, very short-sighted. And we gotta be honest about that. Prayers for safety and comfort are very, very short-sighted in light of eternity. What would it look like for us to pray more in light of eternity? Rather than prayers of safety and comfort, which are still good and we should do that, but what if we prayed just as much for boldness, for boldness and courage to share our faith? What if we prayed just as much for the grace and the strength to love our enemies? What would leave a deeper legacy a life of safety and comfort for us and our loved ones or boldness and love? What does it look like? What would it look like for us as a church to be a people who prayed more in light of eternity? For our prayers to be centered around forgiveness and grace, reconciliation, sharing our faith, personal formation that we would represent and embody the very uh, fruits of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I think I left one out. You can grade me later. But the idea being that what would it look like for us to embody those things, not just here on earth, but for all eternity, because the God we worship is, is, is in the eternal character formation business. As parents, what if we prayed eternal prayers for our children? As children, what if we prayed eternal prayers for our parents? As congregants, as members of this body, what if we prayed eternal sized prayers for the community around us. The legacy that God offers us is far more grand than safety and comfort. Those aren't bad things, but I think we might be missing out. And we see that in light of eternity. So this is the first thing that we see. Moses has oriented himself in light of eternity. He's oriented himself in light of eternity uh, and, and having this eternal focus, but it's still not easy. It's still not easy to come face to face with death. And so here at the uh, end of his life, we, uh, face to face with his own mortality, Moses writes these words. Jump ahead a little bit. This is uh, verse nine. Moses writes these words. He says this, all our days pass away under your wrath, God. We finish our years with a moan. He says, I'm finishing my years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow for they quickly pass and we fly away. Moses is feeling a little angsty. He continues on. You can jump ahead a few verses. Verse 13, he says, Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Moses, face to face with his own mortality, he's oriented himself in light of eternity, but he recognizes this is difficult, God. You've got to understand where you have put me and where you have placed me, this is not easy for me to swallow. Look, I've served and I've been faithful and I've loved and I've sacrificed. And have you seen these Israelite people you've stuck me with? Have you seen the way they live and operate? They drive me nuts. They grumble, they complain, they forget all the time. They show no gratitude. And God, yes, I know you're God and I know you're good and I know you're bigger than I am, but here I am and you're letting me see the promised land, but I can't go there? You want me to set it up so they can? And Moses is frustrated. Let me ask you, have you ever felt the way that Moses feels, where you have invested so much into a relationship, you have poured yourself, you've broken yourself for the good of others and feel like you've gotten absolutely nothing back in return? It's called parenting. <laughs> in case you've ever felt that way, I think our daughter might be spoiled. Um, she's one years old. We have taken care of her for one year now and she's not said thank you a single time. 
I don't know what's up. I think our daughter, my wife has spoiled her. Uh, the, the, some of you are parents of teenagers. You're thinking, yeah, I'll give it another 15 years and see how you feel. And that's sort of the idea, though. Boy, it is difficult to love and sacrifice and serve. Embracing the legacy that God has for us means making difficult sacrifices. It means putting the needs and the good of others often, frequently, ahead of our own. It is very difficult. Moses recognizes that the legacy that God offers us is more difficult than you ever feared. Sure, it's more grand than we ever imagined. Boy, it is tough to leave and embrace a legacy the size of eternity. It's difficult. Five years ago, four teenage girls uh, saved the student ministry here at this church, in my opinion. I'm very convinced uh, that uh, four teenage girls, uh, Becca Eitzen, uh, Meg Halloran, Katie Frisbee, and April Filter. Uh, some of you know them. Uh, they are, I think some of them are here today. Uh, they saved the student ministry of this church five years ago for, for a variety of reasons. It was a very complex situation, lots of stuff going on. But for whatever reason, the student ministry here was just not in a super great place. Uh, it had gotten very small in size. It was averaging about six to 12 students, which if you've been around students, that's just not a lot of critical mass to build energy and momentum. So it had gotten very small in size. It had gotten very, very young very young, uh, middle school, sixth, seventh grade in age, very, very young. And so a lot of the older students who were engaged had really said, it's not for me. It's too tough. I'm out of here. I, I, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I don't wanna be a part of this. It's lost the energy, it's lost momentum. I don't wanna be a part of it. Not these four girls. These four girls saw what was happening in the student ministry. They saw that many of their peers had left. They saw how easy it would have been for them to pick up and leave also. But showing remarkable Incredible! I would say God-honoring maturity. These girls got together, they prayed, and they said, you know what? Maybe God has us here for a reason bigger than just ourselves. Maybe we're here to model and mentor for these younger students what following Jesus should look like. Maybe we're here to, to build a legacy, and it's gonna be tough because you know what? The teaching wasn't oriented for them. It was oriented towards young children, uh, younger uh, students, uh, the activities and games weren't oriented towards older high schoolers. It was oriented towards younger middle schoolers. The peer group and the peer support in that peer community was much weaker than they probably deserved to have. And yet, they stayed. It was probably more difficult than they ever feared. I'm sure as the ministry went through growing pains, they had regrets, they had doubts, they had fears. It was tough. No one was coming up to them saying, thank you for being here. Thank you for sacrificing. Thank you for doing it. They were taken for granted. It would have been so much easier for them to pick up and go somewhere else. But they chose to empower the next generation. They chose, even in the midst of difficulties, to leave a legacy. And the, uh, two years after these gals graduate from high school, uh, and some of them are still around here. By the way, are any of you four here today? Raise your hand. Yeah, if you have a, if you have a student in the student ministry right now, you should thank these girls. Uh, you should thank them for their sacrifice. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, young women, I should say. They're not girls anymore. I always forget. Yeah, they've grown up. Uh, you should thank these young women uh, because of their sacrifice, because of what they did. Because the student ministry, uh, they didn't even get to really see it. They didn't get to enter into that because they graduated out. But the legacy they left behind changed everything. A student ministry that was averaging about six students on a Wednesday night, a couple years after they graduated, was averaging 60 on a Wednesday night. A student community that had no upper-class leadership all of a sudden had this massive wealth of upper-class leadership. There was a culture that was created of building and leaving a legacy. It's more difficult 
than you ever feared. I'm not making light of that. I'm not brushing past that. That is a very difficult thing for us to embrace a legacy bigger than ourselves. It means sacrifice. It means service. It means being a part of something even when it's difficult. I would say even because it's difficult, God might have called you to a difficult marriage or to a difficult relationship, to a difficult project because of the legacy you have the opportunity to leave behind. So what do we do with this? Well, some of us, we need to look back and some of us, we need to look forward, right? As we ponder this question of purpose and ponder this question of legacy, here's the truth. None of us, if you are a follower of Jesus, none of us are here because we have pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps and we are self-made followers of Jesus. That doesn't exist. There might be uh, self-made millionaires in business world. There are not self-made millionaire Christians or self-made Christians. This idea that every single one of us, we're trust fund babies, right? We have inherited something. There have been people praying for us, investing into us, serving us, sacrificing for us while we were the difficult ones, while we were the ones who didn't show gratitude, who didn't show appreciation. And some of us, we just need to look back because we have some long overdue gratitude, Someone who was there for you through difficult seasons. Someone who prayed for you for years, who reached out to you ongoingly. Some of us need to look back with gratitude. Some of us even need to say, hey, there are people who are serving and loving my kids right now. Downstairs in our children's ministry, there are people right now who are serving and loving your kids. There are people on Wednesday night, over 20 adults who serve and love and sacrifice for your kids every week. And occasionally a parent will come up to me or come up to Josh or come up to Trevor, uh, people who've worked with the students in the past or presently, and say, thank you so much for your, the way you invested into our children. And I, I, my answer always surprises them, I know, but I always say, yeah, it's okay, I was paid for it. I, and it's true, I, that's, it's part of my job. I was paid to love and serve your kids. You know who you should really thank? It's these volunteers. It's these people who show up time and time and time again to leave a legacy, even though it's difficult, even though they could be doing a million and one things with their time right now on Sunday morning, but they are teaching the Bible to your children. It's a legacy that we are a part of. And some of us, it starts with just showing gratitude. Now, for some of us, despite these difficulties, it means looking forward. It means saying, God, where do you want to use me even though it's difficult? even though it's difficult. Let me ask you a question. What if the most important thing you do with your life isn't a thing at all? What if it's not something you accomplish or a task you complete or a title you earn? What if the most important thing you do with your life is a person you invest into? What if it is a life you change because of serving and leading and praying, even though it's difficult, even though it's tough? Now, some of you, I know, many of you are already doing this. You can look to the people in the past who have blessed you and served you, and you are looking to the future to do the same thing, to leave a legacy of faith. And I know some of you are wondering, yeah, if I, had, if I felt like I had anything to offer, I might do it. We have a new sermon series we're starting next week titled, Can God Use Me? For some of you, I want you to pray about and consider looking forward as you hear that series because the God of the universe delights in using people who appear unqualified. He delights in using people who feel unqualified. Look at the life of Moses. We don't have enough time right now, but look at the life of Moses. There's a prime time example. The man of iconic faith doubted and feared and failed so much. Can you, God use you? Absolutely. Next uh, sermon series starting next week. You should uh, pray about that and consider that as you look forward. What if the most important thing you do with your life is someone you invest into? Now, 
going to wind down with this. Here at the very end of this psalm, Moses is, is praying, he's reflecting, his life is drawing to a close, and he prays a beautiful prayer, a beautiful, inspiring prayer that's bigger than himself and bigger than his difficulties and bigger than his sacrifices. He prays this, Psalm 90. This is the very end, verses 16 and 17. Moses says this, May your deeds be shown to your servants. God, may your splendor be shown to their children. Generation to generation to generation, God, do these things. Build this legacy of faith. And he says, may the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Moses knows that at the end of his life, the only hope his legacy has, his purpose has, is that the eternal God of the universe would be the one who establishes the work of his hands. And we stand here today, uh, or sit here today, <laughs> we are here today because God has established that legacy. We're here on another continent, thousands of miles away, thousands of years later, talking about Moses and talking about his relationship with God because God took that prayer so seriously and God answered it in the person of Jesus Christ. Because God said, I care so much and I will create a legacy so beautiful that I will personally enter into this mess, even though it's difficult, even though it, might it does cost me everything. And I will lay down my life to establish this legacy of faith, generation to generation. And we see that in the cross. We see that in the person and the life of Jesus. This is from Philippians 2. I don't have it on the screen behind me, but you can just listen because this is how the sacrificial loving God is described in the person of Jesus. Have the, uh, this, is Christ, this describes Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to, to the glory of God the Father. That is the certainty, that is the sacrifice, that is what God did to establish the work of Moses' hands. And the legacy that God offers us is more grand than we could ever imagine. It's more difficult than we ever feared, but it's more worthwhile than you ever hoped. When we root our legacy outside of ourselves in the eternal work of the cross, in the good news of the gospel, it is more worthwhile than you ever dared to hope. I've heard it said before that the true measure of a life, the value of a life is found in how much of it is given away. And we see that at funerals, don't we? And when we stand up at the end of someone's life and we talk about legacy, we don't, we don't talk about doofus college students who jumped and were super self-centered and only cared about what people thought of themselves. No, we talk about what they gave away with their lives, what they sacrificed for others, how they blessed others, what they gave for others. We don't talk about their bank account statements or what kind of car they drove. We talk about the relationships they had and how they invested. The value of a life is found in what is given away. And in Jesus, we see the greatest value of all, more worthwhile than you ever hoped. And that's the invitation. That's the legacy that God offers us through faith, through faith in Jesus. 
is a legacy that we can embrace that far exceeds what we imagined and exceeds our fears and exceeds our hopes. That's the good news of the gospel. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that you are an eternal God, past, present, and future, Lord. You see us, you know us, you love us. You meet us right here where we're at. Lord, I pray that you would establish the work of our hands. God, establish the work of our hands as individuals, as families, as a church, God, that we would labor and invest and love and serve and even sacrifice as you did. God, because you invite us to be a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. God, I pray for our kids downstairs the legacy of this church. Lord, I pray that you would continue to love and to serve them and use them. Create a legacy of faith, Lord, that endures far beyond our current circumstances. Lord, after I am dust in the ground and we're dust in the ground and this church is dust in the ground, Lord, you reign and you are eternal. And we have eternal life with you because of your legacy and the legacy of the cross. Lord, thank you for that. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen.